Thank you for listening to Dream 10X Radio, where we interview people attempting to live extraordinary lives. Our twofold purpose is to both direct and inspire people bold enough to do the same. Dream 10X. Face your fears. sailing trip that I did this this sailing trip for me finished 10 years ago now you know and that's crazy for me to think about and I'm 39 years old and you know I've done a lot of stuff since that sailing trip and um but but this sailing trip still lights people up people still love to talk about this trip and this experience that I had and uh, you know I still enjoy talking to it and I I still I love the look on people's eyes when when they want to hear about it and all that sort of stuff. Um, but it's it's a, something that that happened for me a long time ago, I guess, um, which is which is interesting. And a lot of stuff has has happened since. I think a lot of people they um, they 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 it, it lights up their imagination, and they really want to understand how you can go and do those sorts of things or you know they really want to understand why and I guess I love talking about those things and I'm a really practical person and I love talking about practical things you know like I want to go to do xyz and I'm a very practical person and I think that's what has enabled me to do the things that I've done so you know I'm, I'm really open to having any type of conversation whether it's about my sailing trip 10 years ago whether it's the sailing trip across the south pacific again the second time five years ago whether it's about building businesses whether it's about me trying to complete my circumnavigation by driving a land rover around the world and you know now i'm stuck in tasmania um uh, with my car stuck in south africa so there's you know there's lots of stuff to talk about and um you know i, I I don't know, and it's hard to try and think about interviewing myself, but. How can people get in touch with you now? Well, how can people do business with you? <laughs> what business do you pitch? Yeah. Um, I think uh, uh, I put a lot of effort into to my website of, uh, of the, over the last few months. And I think uh, the website, my website at the moment really has a collection of everything going on in my life. So if you're interested in the stuff that I'm making, interested in my book, the documentary or um, my photography or anything like that, I think the website is the, uh, the central platform for Nick Jaffe, which is nickjaffe.com.au. Uh, and then yeah, links off to my Instagram. I, I Instagram quite a lot of stuff. So if people are interested in that, so yeah, between my website and Instagram, that's probably, uh, got everything, uh, going on. Yeah. Cool. I really love how, like I said, I really love how you're, you're branding yourself and how organized you are about it. <laughs> And you're an artist. And I'm an artist. I mean, I, I don't really discern, I don't really separate adventure and art. I don't, that, to me, that they're, they're all, all is one, all, all one. And, and, and to me, you know, art is, is about originality. It's about um, creating something. And for me, these, all of these adventures, they're, they're just that it's, it's about, it's about coming up with an idea, trying to figure out a way to do it, trying to do something original, trying to do something um, unique, mm. um, trying to create something at the end of the day, that's all I do. All I do is create things, whether it's adventures, photographs, films, it, 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 that's all it is, you know, for me. Talk a little bit about more about uh, adventure as creation. I, I like that concept. I, I've never really thought of it like that. What is that? How is it a creation to you? 
Yeah, so um, when I when I was at art school, uh, I did my fine arts degree in photography and uh, it sort of morphed. It was a very free and open art school and I was really interested in, in photography and also installation art. I was interested in a lot of conceptual art. I was very interested in the German um, philosopher and artist Joseph Beuys who talked about um, I've talked about life as art and, and that very much struck me um, mm -hmm. during this sort of fluxus period, this period of post-war uh, art, post-war Germany, this sort of stuff. He was obviously German and um, this idea that, that, uh, that art was not just paintings, it was not just sculptures, that, that your life could be art. And that really struck me, and that that and and I never really spoke about that much in the film. Um, I think maybe I was too young to be able to talk about the things that were influencing me wholly, and I've had so much time now to think about things retrospectively and to try and piece together why I've done things. Um, and I spoke a bit about that in my book, which I published in 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 April. Um, but yeah, I mean, for me, this idea of of creation is it's what drives me I, I every day I wake up and and I have a bad day if I don't get an opportunity to make something and um, then when I say make something like I said it doesn't mean sitting down and drawing or painting it could be doing a bit of writing or it could be playing my guitar or or something like I, I feel like we are on this earth to create mm. um, and I think um, for me coming up with these ideas like coming up with this idea that i was going to complete my circumnavigation which i started in my contessa 26 you know in that vintage that that voyage finished 10 years ago and i decided two years ago that i would i wanted to complete my trip around the world but i wanted to do the other half of it by land rover so it became this really exciting thing like it was like birthing this new adventure it's like you come up with this very uh, this very quick concept like oh okay i'm gonna um, drive around the world and then you start working backwards from there you're like well how on earth you know how do you do that and what is the what is the interesting idea around that what's the concept and for me it sort of was like okay i'm going to finish my circumnavigation of the world um but i'm also going to tie it in i'm going to make it i'm going to drive from the most southern road in Australia to the most northern road in Europe, which is from down here in Tasmania to um, above the Arctic Circle of Norway. And then I'd start looking at maps of the world and it's just it's just super exciting. You're looking at a map of the world and you're almost painting a picture of how you're gonna get around it, you know? Um, so yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know if that answers your question, but <laughs> uh, that's sort of how I think about things, I suppose. Yeah. Wow, that's so fascinating. So are you familiar with the work of John Dewey? Yes, I'm familiar with the work of John Dewey, and I I, I have a, one of his books that I carried on uh, on my boat, and I'm just looking at my bookshelf now to try and remember <laughs> the title of it. But I think it is Art of Life or the Life of Art or something along Art those lines. Experience? But yeah, yeah, Art as Experience. Yeah, Art as Experience. That's <laughs> so, it. I'm looking at it right now. So John Dewey talks about, as you know, how when an artist creates something they do it to, for their own aesthetic experience but also to impact others to have that same aesthetic experience when you create something um so be it your book or the movie or your art um your pictures how has aesthetics formulated your own education and perception of the world and two how have you thought to impact others in their aesthetic experience one of the interesting things i've been thinking about 
of late is because um, I've been doing a lot of content creation where you're creating a lot of content for brands, you're creating things that they're wanting. Um, and for me, a lot of the things that I've created have not come from a place of wanting to create them for for others uh, in the sense that there's, um, for me, it's really, uh, I can express it. Um, it's, it's on the one hand, creating these experiences for myself. Um, I enjoy about that, that, that process of creation is proving to myself and I think in the effect that it has on others, it proves to others that things can be possible. And I, I think that's a really interesting thing. The thing that I love is being able to prove to myself and in the process it proves to others right. that, that certain things are possible. Um, I love that topic of adventure as creation and uh, the topic of sharing those adventures with other people. A lot of people think it's kind of egotistical to do that, but I, I really appreciate your angle on that, that you're, it's, it's, it's art, it's creation of art. It's sharing the aesthetic of being outside in nature and experiencing, you know, here's what it's like in the middle of the Atlantic or the middle of the Pacific, <laughs> you know, with these waves. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, I, I never, I mean, you could perceive it as being egotistical, certainly. I, I just, I, I always feel like, and I feel like it's, it's hard to look at the film objectively, but I feel like in the film I have been, <laughs> and it's almost egotistical to say this, but I feel like I've been humble. I, I don't feel like I've ever um, tried to be a hero or to, to have any of that type of angle. That's never been my thing. No, I wasn't saying that you were, I was just saying in general that some, you know. Some... Yeah, no, I understand. I understand. But it's an interesting, it is an interesting point because I've certainly thought about these things and I have been very conscious about not wanting to come across as um, being egotistical or, 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 or showing a, a false reality or that I'm strong or tough or anything. I've always tried to be very truthful, I think. Yeah, I loved the raw, the raw you in those in that video and in, in the movie and, and what it was like to get sick and <laughs> not know what you're doing and all that. So that that was what's so inspiring. I think about it is is how real it was. I think. Mm. Um, would you mind talking a little bit about the business side of yourself? Mm. The, the tech tech so, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So. Like um, when I was, uh, I'll try to be quick because it's a big, it's a long story, but I'll try to compress it a bit. But, you know, my, my tech journey started when I was very young. Um, I was very into tech when I was young and I didn't like school very much. My parents were teachers. They wouldn't let me leave school. <laughs> Eventually I was able to um, force them into letting me leave school under certain um, provisions. And one of those was that, Oh, sure, Nick, you can leave school, but you, you to, to get a job in tech, which is what I wanted to do because I was offered a job when I was 16 in tech. Wow. And um, they said, yeah, sure, you can do that, but you've also got to finish school at the same time. And they thought that they'd stumped me with this problem. <laughs> but, you know, I just, 
I solved this problem and I worked out how to uh, study from home via distance education, a distance education program that was designed for kids who lived in the remote outback areas. I called them up and I said, look, this is my situation. I'm going to go to work. I can't attend school. I need to do distance education. And they're like, okay, cool. So, and I did that and I finished my, um, I don't know what you, I can't remember what you call it in the States, but I finished my final years of high school. I finished school like every other kid and, and while working full time as a software developer and commuting four hours a day because I didn't have a driver's license because I was too young. And, you know, I did that and I, 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 I got to the age of, I think, 20 or 21, and I'd been doing photography and I was interested in art and I felt I didn't want to be stuck at a desk for the rest of my life. And I could see that technology is engrossing, like you have always got to be pushing, pushing, pushing. Mm. And, um, and I felt like I needed something more from my work. And that was when I started putting together my folio, my work, and I got into a really great art school and I was just so stoked to get in into art school, I was 21 and um, I, I did my degree. And I very much sort of gave my hopes and dreams up around technology. I was not so interested anymore, but I still had skills and, and, and those skills are what helped me pay for my boat when I was living in Berlin and, and that sort of stuff. And, um, and so I still dabbled in tech, but uh, my heart wasn't in it. And um, when I finished my voyage in Constellation, I think I was 29 and I got back to Australia and I was like, Jesus, what am I going to do now? I was really over sailing. I had enough and, and um, I, I, I didn't want to get a job. I thought, God, you can't go through that experience and then go walk into a day job. <laughs> and, you know, I, I, I spoke to some friends, you know, about what I could do. And my uh, long-term friend, Marty, um he said why don't we start a business together and i was like okay so we started working in cloud infrastructure and web hosting in, in the web hosting industry and we built a business from from scratch we put a, a, i think two dollars each into a bank account to start our business bank account and and we, we built it up over many years and we, we did other really cool projects we built a co-working space where i have an online bike store i sort of just went nuts i came back off that sailing but i felt like i could do anything mm. and um you know, so, you know, worked in business for six, seven years. Um, and, and really the, the building the business stuff, uh, I, I thought that I might be able to build things to a point where I could regain my freedom again. And I started getting itchy feet. I want to go sailing, adventuring again. And, you know, the, the business stuff, it, it didn't, it, it, it didn't turn me into some multimillionaire, um, CEO or anything like that. It was very much sort of a lifestyle business and I got to live um, how I wanted. I worked remotely. We had, a, we had a small team that we we had and we all worked how we wanted. We worked for our own hours. We concentrated on environmental initiatives. We became a B Corp. We, you know, we were very conscious, consciously building our business around our lives and how we wanted to live and also how we perceived uh, how we believe businesses should exist in, in this world. And, you know, um, it was an exciting time and, and um, we, we, we built, we built something really great. But at the end of the day, I, I had had enough of business and I wanted my freedom back and I wanted to pursue art and I want to pursue adventure again. So a couple of years ago, I, I, sold my half of the business to my business partner, Marty, and I was out on my own again. 
and um, that's where I've been for the last couple of years. But you know, business is still a thing for me, uh, but in a, a smaller scale, it's just me. And I found it quite stressful having employees, having to look after other people. I found that stressful. Um, and it's a, I, I enjoy how it is now, but there's also pitfalls to being on your own. I, I run my house as an Airbnb. I have my small leather goods label, and I also do commercial motion and stills work. And you know, I do a lot of different things. So. Yeah, that's the long answer, really, to your question. No, that's so fascinating. There's so much in there, too. Uh, did you experience a sense of freedom on the whole, uh, single-handed sailing across two oceans, but not having any money to your name, really? Yeah. Mm, yeah. Um, you know, uh, it, it, the, the the freedom is just this very delicate balance in life. You know, it's about your know, freedom and and how you define freedom. Um, a lot of people define freedom in their minds as some type of financial freedom. We live in such a capitalist world where everything seems to revolve around money. Whereas, you know, for me, when I think about freedom, it's it's the freedom to think my own thoughts. It's the freedom to spend the time that I wish with. The, with the people that I wish, it's the freedom to spend my time on my own terms, those sorts of things. I, I don't necessarily immediately jump to freedom equals a million dollars or, or anything like that. Um, I'm very conscious, very conscious of time and the limited amount of time we have. I think about time on a daily basis. I think about how much time I have left and I'm driven by the ticking clock. I'm not driven by money, although I need money. I'm not an idiot. Um, and so, uh, in terms of yeah, did I experience freedom sailing as a 27 year old on a 26 foot boat with no money crossing oceans? Yes, I experienced a certain type of freedom, um, and it's one of the greatest, if not the greatest, experiences of my life. Um, but as you grow older and things change and situations change, freedom means different things, to different people. And I think it's very important to remember that, you know, like uh, freedom as a, as a white educated male means something very different to somebody else. And I always need to remember who I am, where I am, the luck that I've been given. Mm. Um, and so, mm. you, you know, freedom is a, a complex thing to discuss. Um, but but to ultimately to answer your question, yes, I felt very free most of the time <laughs> during that trip. Hmm. And then when you came back and started doing the tech business stuff and started making some money for yourself, then how did your definition of freedom compare to being out on the open ocean? Mm. You know. Um, I very much dove into the business stuff and I loved creating things again. It was a challenge. It's like, well, you know, these are the parameters and figure out interesting ways to solve problems. Um, and I, I loved that. And so uh, I, I, I had I, 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 freedom at that point was I had enough money not to worry about money. I've never been wealthy. If you were to look at how much money I've had relative to a middle-class Australian um, person of my age, I would say I have uh, been quite poor <laughs> always. 
Um, but uh, I had enough money to not have to, to worry about paying rent and things like that. Whereas when I was on the sailing boat, it was, you know, I was very much worrying about money all the time. Um, and so, yeah, building businesses, I didn't have to worry about money so much, but then I had other trade-offs. Yeah. Um, you know, I had responsibilities uh, around the business. And as we started to have someone, you know, people helping us in our business, I had responsibilities to them. And, um, and, and I think it, it pushed a bit too far for me. I think it started building things that were a bit too much for me and took away from my freedom too much. And, and the, the money stuff was not enough to compensate for that. So again, it came back down to the balance, you know? Yeah. Thinking about that, that's the, <laughs> maybe, maybe think a little bit there about, uh, the, uh, objective, how do you say it? Like freedom is, is really subjective. an subjective yeah, definition. That's really interesting. Yeah, because John Locke has a lot of, I'm looking up John Locke right now because I remember he has a bunch of things on freedom and it, it's very akin to the things that you're saying where it's subjective and um, there's a lot of forbearance and willingness to figure out your own way. So it's interesting. Mm. Yeah, yeah I, and I think, I think really it's, I think people, if they are listening to this or they're thinking about their own freedom, I think it's important to think, I think it's important to fight for freedom, whatever that looks like. But I think people, I think a lot of people forget, it's so easy to forget the importance of freedom and, 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 and for people to equate uh, simplistic meanings of freedom, for example, financial freedom. Yeah. Oh, financial freedom is the only type of freedom. That's not true. Yeah. Right. That that might that might mean something to you deep in your heart, and and that's okay, and that's great if that's what freedom really means to you. But I don't think, as a general rule, and I think, but I think it's important that people think about freedom more. You know, um, I think it's a really important thing to think about. I think thinking about freedom is as important as thinking about love. You know, or other you know really um, base things. Wow. Yeah. That. I think about, so I'm the guy who thinks about shallow financial freedom constantly. <laughs> and I'm the opposite. <laughs> I think of freedom more like you. That's good. It's about a, family and the perfect, the, the perfect match then. Over yeah, there. exactly. <laughs> we balance each other. Uh, that's interesting. I, as, as I've grown up, like, so I grew up in a, you know, very Christian family as a, a kid, you know, uh, in the Christian church, money is the root of all evil kind of thing, you know? And so I've always been like, well, money's bad. But then as I got older, I started coming to the realization that I, I got to have money and I got to have a lot of it if I want to realize my true self and be be really free as as, as I see it. But um, I totally see your point that you, you do need it's a much deeper and broader word than to many different people. You know, there's. Mm -hmm. uh, political freedom and you know i'm not in jail so i have you know mm -hmm. all kinds of different ways of looking at it, that's for sure and it's, it seems to be like yeah. freedom would be like a theory of action so it's do you earn your freedom whatever that means to you by by doing something versus letting things happen to you yes uh, yeah ab absolutely absolutely and that is that is this like this idea a friend of mine was um visited me a few months ago and she was enraptured by um, the huge bull kelp in the ocean near my house. And she's just, she was, became obsessed with looking at this bull kelp. And I was like, what, you know, what's, what's this thing going on with the bull kelp? And she's just like, you know, she's like, 
and this connected with her life at that time, just this idea of being this piece of kelp in the ocean and the ocean is just washing you around. You're at complete mercy of, of the ocean. And, and that I think is for many people, um, what the real core um, issue uh, of, of, of the, the, one of the core issues of unhappiness in life is being that bull kelp and not having this sense of control over your own um, over your own path. And, and again, I think that comes back down to freedom. You, you have a sense of freedom if you have more control over your own, um, your own existence, however that might look. So, you know, yeah, for sure. Hmm. In, in your movie Between Home, you had an interesting reflection on sailing solo and how some of the experiences you wish you could really share with somebody but how difficult it would have been for you to convince a friend or somebody to spend two to three months with you. Um, you know, nobody could figure out a way to pull themselves away from what they're doing in life or society to do what you've done. And that really struck mm -hmm. me. Like, so that kind of segues with freedom. Uh, how were you able to, why were you able to do that and other people aren't? What do you think those chains are? And are they I think, mental or financial or? They're definitely not financial. Um, it, 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 for me, you know, it, for me, it's very simple. It's very simple because it's simply a choice. It's like, this is what I'm going to do at the cost of everything else. That's it. Yeah. And I was in a position at my life at that time where I could do that. I didn't have kids. I was not married. You know, I didn't have a mortgage. I was pretty good with my money. I didn't have credit card debts. I had positioned myself where I could concentrate, put my full focus onto this one thing and dedicate every ounce of my energy to that thing. And I, I recall very distinctly, you know, at the end of that trip, the immense relief that I had because I had not stopped concentrating and thinking about that, that expedition for four years, everything in my life revolved around that. And that revolved around, um, relation, personal relationships, you know, I, you know, losing personal relationships because they just wouldn't fit into the narrative that I developed. They wouldn't fit into the inertia that I created on that voyage. And, and so hmm. I, I think, the, the, the issue is, is that a lot of people are a potentially haven't positioned themselves in their lives to be able to concentrate at that level or B they really just like the idea of sailing around the world. And when they actually start to think about it, they realize that in many ways it's pretty shit. It's <laughs> pretty hard. Right. Um, and you have to give up a lot. You've yeah. got to give up a lot to do that. You have to give up everything to do that. And I don't think, People really, or many people really want to do that. And, um, and, and, or, or they are blocked from, from really doing it. And they, they, they get distracted all of it. You know, they have this big dream and all of a sudden then they get distracted by all the small details and, you know, they're suddenly derailed and, and that's the end of it. Hmm. Um, but I, I just, I just really don't think that there's, there was nothing particularly special. I didn't have some huge inheritance that suddenly allowed me to, 
um, buy a boat and sail off around the world. It was nothing like that. It was just, it was about making the decision about that that's what I wanted to dedicate my time to. And I did. And I dedicated all of my time and energy to that for four years. And four years is a pretty big chunk out of an adult's life. And um, I just don't think many people are prepared to do that. I think it's as simple as that. Yeah. That's really interesting. Um, also interesting was the fact that, yeah, you didn't have any, you hardly had any money then. How old were you? You're like 18 years old. No, no, no. I was, I was, when I bought the constellation, I was 26. Oh, I was okay. living in, I was, yeah, I was living in, um, I was living in Berlin at the time. Yeah. Okay. And, but so you had some, Let's go back a little bit. So you went to Berlin initially because you wanted to find out more about your dad, right? Yeah. So I went to Berlin when I finished art school for two reasons. I went because I had an interest in German art and I had an interest in Joseph Beuys. I had an interest in some of the photographers coming out of the Dusseldorf um, area. And uh, I also wanted to see if I could find something, some more information about my biological father. Maybe there was somebody I could, some distant relative I could connect with. And um, that's why I moved to Berlin. And, and I, I had a, a German passport. Um, so I was very lucky in that sense. And so I really went to Berlin to find out more about my personal history. And I also wanted to, to study at master's level. And, um, and I soon realized that my German was never going to be good enough to do that. And then I ended up hitchhiking and got up to the Arctic Circle and did all this other stuff and then eventually bought the boat. And, and then that whole thing started. So that's why I was in Berlin. Okay. Uh, so I, I was just a little bit curious how that whole adventure took place there so uh, it wasn't clear to me like what happened in your mind to spark that whole thing like but you did have a really cool line where you said you you needed to either so you were headed back to australia you knew that and you had the choice to either take a 12-hour flight or (laughs) a multi-year adventure to see the entire world in between those two points i thought that was really cool yeah but yeah and i mean go ahead I mean, the sailing thing was not totally random. Um, You know, I had, um, uh, you know, I grew up doing a lot of adventurous stuff with my dad. My, um, it was technically my second dad, but he's just my dad since I was, you know, two and a half years old. And he is a really amazing guy. And we did all sorts of stuff. My whole childhood, we were doing cool stuff. Okay. We weren't sailing. That's true. Um, but you know, I, Jesse Martin, um, the younger solo circumnavigator, he was from Melbourne. And um, I remember reading his book um, at the age of 18, Jesse and I are friends and, and we're the same age. And so I'd been inspired by, by Jesse at that time and it was in my consciousness and I had um, done some sailing in Melbourne. I was very bored with sailing because everybody wanted to sail around buoys and, and I wanted to like go off and cross an ocean. And um, so it wasn't totally random it, it was in my consciousness and it was just that things didn't totally line up until i was in berlin and i had this sense of freedom i felt that i was not around people telling me i couldn't do things if i was in melbourne and i said oh i'm gonna buy a sailing boat and sail around the world i would have had 50 people tell me what an idiot you are <laughs> but if you're in a brand new city mm. and you don't know anybody and you tell people you're going to sail around the world they're like cool and so you know 
I think that that's a really interesting thing as well. But you know, the the the, the idea that I was going to sail home and that that I think was a very conceptual thing where you're thinking about, okay, well, there's these two points on the Earth, and it's like, gee, I wonder what's in between those two points. I mean, that's a really cool thing to think about. And right. when people are like, oh, what, you know, why would you sail around the world? That's for me, it's like, God, why wouldn't you? Haven't you ever sat in, in your bed at night or looked out the window and just wondered what it would be like to yeah. just off into the horizon and i mean the only difference is is that i did it um and so yeah i mean it's it's simple in many ways i think can you point to any specific uh catalyst that that started that whole project for you did you go to berlin knowing that you would probably take that way home no, no, I didn't. I didn't. Yeah. I went to Berlin with an idea that I was going to be an artist and I was going to studying, you know, a very different track. Um, and, and actually the reality, the, the truth is, is that uh, I'd been working in Melbourne before and I'd saved up um, some money. I think I had $8,000 that I'd saved up. That was my Berlin fund. And, um, and uh, so I rocked up in Berlin with a bit of a bit of a runway to support myself for a while until I figured out what the hell I was doing. And it was actually one day that I was sitting online and I realized I could buy like a, a cabin in Sweden. And I thought, that sounds amazing. I think I'm <laughs> going to go move to Sweden. I'm going to go live in a cabin. Like I just had this, just this like throw, throw yeah. type dream. I was like, well, why wouldn't I? Why wouldn't I? If I can buy a cabin in Sweden for $7,000, I mean, I'm going to go do that. And I had this very, I mean, all of the stuff I think about, it's always very romantic. I was like, oh, I'm going to go to Sweden. I'm going to live in this cabin. I'm going to get myself a dog and I'm going to be like reading by candlelight and snuggling up with the dog and, you know, all of this sort of Jack London type stuff in my head. And, and, um, and I went up to Sweden to buy the cabin and then <laughs> the cabin felt it fell through. And I was like, oh, well, I'm in Sweden. I was in Stockholm. So I started hitchhiking. I thought, you know what? I wonder what the Northern Lights look like because it's as simple as that. And I thought, I wonder what it's like to be, you know, um, I wonder what it's like to be in an environment when there's light. Uh, sorry, not the Northern Lights. What is it? It was in summer. What is it like to be in a place where there's light 24 hours a day? I thought, oh, well, I'll hitchhike up to the Arctic Circle and see. And so that's what I did. And then I was up in the Arctic Circle in the Lofoten Islands and I was looking out at the sea and I was like thinking to myself, I was thinking about Jesse Martin, I was thinking about sailing. And initially I thought, I'm going to come back. I'm going to sail through the fjords of Norway. And then it just expanded. The idea just blew up. It was like, oh, well, if I'm going to sail to Norway, I might as well sail to the Caribbean. And I was like, I'm going to sail to the Caribbean. I might as well sail to the South Pacific. I'm going to sail to the South Pacific. Well, well you know, Australia is right next door. Yeah. yeah. So that's how, it, that's how it came about. Love that. That is really cool. That is like the, progression. The, the best representation of turning thought into action. Like so many people are paralyzed by that. They would have yeah. these really cool ideas and dreams, but then talk themselves out of it instead of being like, well, we're here. Why not? Let's move forward. And so, hmm. I mean, it's really, really amazing that you're immediately able to adapt and, and move forward versus being paralyzed by fear about moving forward. So yeah, turning thoughts into actions, that's really powerful. So are you crazy? Like, <laughs> how do you turn such a big dream into action without <laughs> rationalizing yourself out of that well <laughs> is that a dumb question I mean, not at all <laughs> i mean uh i don't think i'm crazy i think everybody else is crazy <laughs> you know? i concur 
I just, you know, the someone sent me a message the other day and they were reading my book and uh, they said, Nick, I don't understand how you've had so many different lives. Yeah. And I thought about that and, um, you know, I thought, well, why, why, why is that? Like, why do I keep doing stuff? And why, you know, and, and it, I don't think it's out of a craziness. I think it's, I just love to have an intense life. Like everything in my life is intense. I just love to experience things. And it's, and I'm just driven, I'm driven by that. I'm driven to want to experience as much as I possibly can. And, um, and, and, and I have, I've worried now, I'm 39, I turned 40 next year, and I've worried. I've worried in my 20s and my 30s. I thought, shit, you know, I hope I don't become like a normal person and buy a house in the suburbs. I really worried about that. I mm. hope I don't, you know, get a job and lose all my dreams. And, and now that I'm getting older, I'm starting to get, I'm starting to have confidence in myself. It sounds crazy, but I'm starting to be like, oh, wow, okay. You know what? People starting to take me seriously now. I'm like turning 40 and I'm still doing these ridiculous things. <laughs> That's pretty cool. And um and and so I'm starting to have a bit more confidence in myself. And and, and maybe in my early years, maybe I did think I was a bit crazy. I, I don't know. I mean, I don't think I'm crazy. Um, but it's possible. I mean, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that was a rhetorical question. I don't think you're, you're crazy at all. <laughs> I, I know a lot of people have, you know, would think that. And so James and I us. tried to row the North Atlantic in 2016, and we got all, our friends were obviously and family were great supporters, but a lot of like <laughs> the public were not so much. And so um, it, it's yeah, almost a, to the point. There's a lot of anger out there. Yes. <laughs> for people. We were just trying to do something amazing. So it's uh, it's interesting, like the people, like their perception of you, and how they wouldn't do it themselves, and so they perceive you as being crazy. So, yeah. yeah. And, and I think, you know, if you guys um, had already rode across a couple of oceans before or you'd like climbed Everest or, you know, done one of those things, I think the perception from the public would probably be, be different, you know, but yeah. when, when you go off and that's right. your maybe your first significant thing, you know, so I, I got some flack, you know, for I was always late in the season. You asked why I was late in Biscay. It was just logistics and, and, and um and and people will tell you cra you you crazy and and maybe in some respects to do things is a bit crazy but I also really believe I when people come to me and I always get a lot of young men a lot of young men emailing me and they're like they want to know how to do something they want to know how to sail off around the world and 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 they they say I don't know how to do it I don't have an experience and I never write back to them I never write back to them and say hey look I don't think it's a good idea it's, if you haven't done it anything before I just don't think so mm. I always I always support what people want to do if that's what they want to do I think and it's not harming others I think you know people should be given the freedom to do that and the encouragement to do that and um, if they make a mistake and and they make a mistake or they have bad luck you know that's that's unfortunate, but that's reality. And and if you want to go do these things, then you have to accept the risks. It's as simple as that. It's just, you know, and and if you can't come to terms with that, you probably shouldn't do it. Be willing to. So, yeah, it yeah. seems a lot of times people do want that somebody to tell them it's okay. 
Like yeah. somebody <laughs> trying to tell me it's okay that I can do this forward and getting that reassurance. Yeah. You got to find it in yourself. Yeah. So I love that you've taken that mentor role now and really kind of switched. So you're still doing your own adventures, but you're able to mentor others into their own being. So that's, that's really powerful too. Mm. Mm-hmm. How insurmountable was that whole project for you? Or was it, or was it at all? Did, did you, do you just break things down into their individual components and just, when you set your mind to do it, you just do it. Or did you think about how big the whole thing was? I remember, I remember in the documentary, I actually can't remember. It's been a long time since I watched the documentary. I can't remember if it's in there, but I remember at some point, Jack, the filmmaker asked me how long it was going to take me to sail home. And I was like, oh, probably take me nine months. <laughs> and um, I just, you know, so it's, it's, you know, I, I, I really, I broke it down uh, and everything was a step for me, you know, like people like, oh, um, how did you, you, you suddenly cross the Atlantic on your own? It was like, well, I didn't suddenly cross the Atlantic on my own. Mm. I was an, an, it was a whole range of steps. It was like, first I started sailing by day. Then I started sailing at night. Then I did my first night passage. Then I did a two night passage. Then I did a three. Then I did a 10. Then I did a 30, mm. you know. So I, I broke it down and um, I couldn't I couldn't think about all of the details i mean your head would explode if you tried to calculate everything and work out everything and be like well how much money do i need what's my budget how long is it going to take me and some people do do that and i appreciate that method of doing it but for me it's like being an adventurer is like being a painter like like you're just like painting as you go Mm. and um and, and so for me it was yeah it was it was just breaking it down and 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 continuing and with each leg and with each section of the voyage and it was it, it it gave me confidence and i think it showed other people that i had skin in the game and that i was making things happen and and i think that's why i also experienced a lot of generosity on the trip because people could see that i'd given up everything for this and i had a lot of skin in the game mm. took a lot of risk but i kept pushing forward and i kept being successful and you know i think that's important to remember as well the 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 inertia that you generate but also that the inertia that happens around you when people see what you're doing and they see that you you're actually succeeding in it and that's when the crazy person turns into the adventure i think (laughs) yeah wow i I love your advice there about taking small steps (laughs) i think we made a lot of mistakes in that regard yeah we did but i i totally i i can totally i feel that in my heart how true that is I, i have that experience as well how did you arrive at purchasing a Contessa 26 as your blue water vessel. Did did you have a, a good knowledge of what a good blue water boat was at the time? Yeah, I mean, I think because I spent so much of my time on the internet, I spent so much time as a developer. I was, um, I was extremely good at researching. I was extremely good at finding out answers to questions and I was extremely good at asking questions. Mm. And that has been a real, um, uh, a real thing that I've never been fearful of. I've never been afraid to ask questions. I don't, I don't give a shit what people think about me, <laughs> but I will do my utmost best to ask really good questions. So curiosity asking for help is key. And being very also conscious about the questions that I'm going to ask. Like I would never ask someone, oh, hey, uh, what boat should I buy? Because it shows that you haven't invested any of your own energy into it. It's a bit like there's that idea that um, should you pick up a hitchhiker who's not trying to walk to their destination? Mm. Should you, you know? 
And so I was always walking towards my destination. I was just asking for people for some help along the way. So my questions, you know, I spent a lot of time on forums and stuff as well, talking to people and, and asking good questions. And I was able to hone in on boats. I was like the Island Packet 27, the Sabre 28, Vancouver 27, SNS 32, the boat that Jesse Martin had. You know, I did my research and I researched what other successful young sailors had done long voyages in. I mean, it's, it's, I had not, I was not going to the moon, mm. right? Other people had done what I'd done. So why would I waste all of my time trying to do it in some piece of shit boat that nobody's ever done it in? Mm. Um, because I think it's a great idea or I can get it cheaply or, or, or some other excuse. Why would I not follow in the work of the people who had already um, achieved things? And I remember, um, I remember Brian Caldwell. I remember Tanya Abey. I remember reading their books, researching them. I remember researching the boat and understanding the, the pluses and minuses. And it also was geographic. I was in Berlin. England is just around the corner, you know, and that's where the Contessa comes from. And so mm. it, was also quite it was also quite practical. There were Contessas available um, and there, there weren't SNS 32s. Also couldn't, I couldn't afford SNS 32 as much as I would have liked to. Um, and the other designs, I think, from memory, the island packet and, and things that, you know, they were more US-centric boats. And um, so, yeah, that was also, it was what other people had achieved things in and what was available to me. Very practical way of, very practical methodology for choosing the boat, hmm. you know. What kind of boat was Harmony? Uh, Harmony was an Ares 32. Um, and as I sailed in my Contessa, I learned more and more about boats and um, I was always very happy with my choice of boat. I always appreciated Constellation so much. She was such a beautiful boat. I, I, I think she's beautiful uh, lines and very seaworthy, very trustworthy and a huge occult-like community around the boat, which was also very important to my success, I think, was being able to connect with other Contessa owners and for there to be a real love and cult status of this boat. Um, and the Ares 32, yeah, is a 32-foot is a double-ender, um, a beautiful boat, lots of teak on the inside, and I really loved the double-ended design. I loved long-keel boats, you know. I mean, they, they're slow and, you know, all these other stuff that people go on about, but they're beautiful. I, I love traditional, traditional things. I love um, the visceral sort of nature of things and and harmony appeared on a dock in when i was in sausalito and i looked at it and she was for sale i never thought twice about it and mm. six months later i'd sailed across the south pacific and sold constellation and at the time the dollar was on parity with the us and i was able to take the money out of constellation and pretty much buy harmony who sat on the hard for a few years before i could do that trip across the south pacific wow my dad always said to me that there are two times well, it's a common saying, right? Like the two times that the boat you, you love your boat the most when you buy it, when you sell it. Do you did you ever find that true? Mm. Honestly, I would give anything to have my Contessa mm. back. I would really? give anything to have my um, just to have Constellation back. But I I understand that, and for me, I couldn't afford to just have these boats sitting around, and I didn't want to. I hate owning. I hate owning things if they're not getting fully used to their maximum. Um, for, for their purpose right and so just having um, a sailing boat sitting around on a mooring so that I can go out and 
um, eat cucumber sandwiches and drink gin on the weekends or whatever. It's just not my thing. And, um, and so I just, I couldn't justify it. Um, but I would love just for my own personal reasons, I would love to have Constellation back for sure. But, um, you know, I was, yeah, I was really happy when I sold her and I was really happy when I sold, um, Harmony as well. And, um, but, uh, you know, yeah, owning a boat, it's a, it's a, it's a commitment. It's a real commitment. Yeah. So, and, and if you're not, if you're not using it every day, you're not sailing across an ocean for me, that's why I had it. I didn't have it because I loved sailing per se. And I loved boats. I loved fixing engines. I sailed it because it had a purpose, you know, and mm. yeah. So I have a question and okay. So you sailed, you were by yourself, uh, experiencing nature. You went down the Gordon river on um, your outboard, just away from society, away from civilization, away from lights, away from noise, away from all these things. How did you experience the world differently, especially coming back into society from like a, a sensory based perspective? Mm. You know, I love, I love being in nature and I'm so fortunate, you know, I'm sitting in my house right now and I'm completely surrounded by trees and I'm looking at the ocean and I'm just so fortunate in so many ways and nature for me, it, 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 it just, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't go live back in a city again. And I think when I came back from that voyage, the thing that hit me most was how in nature I would feel that I'm connected with a true reality and how when I am living in a city surrounded by people doing bullshit things, how I was not living in a real, in, in a true reality, I was living in a fabrication and there were a lot of things, a lot of um, pressures put on me from external um, things that uh, were not real. And I have, I think my patience for the bullshit of daily life very much diminished after that sailing trip. I mean, I already had pretty low levels of patience for the bullshit of daily life, but <laughs> when I finished, when I finished that trip, they were next level. I just couldn't put up with it. And I still, it still sits with me. I can't, I can't put up with inane conversations. I can't put up with pointless work. I, I just, I just, I just, I just don't have the capacity for things that aren't true and real. Mm. Uh, and that's, I think the real thing that was heightened after I came off that sailing boat and it's a blessing and a curse, you know, because you have to, unless you want to become a hermit, you know, and, um, and live that way, which I don't, um, you are really going to have to figure out a way to function in the world and so it's just again about balance for me and, and, and I'm, I'm pretty happy with where I am at the moment with all of that. Are you, so that segues to my questions on uh, your your personal relationships. Are you married now? Girlfriend? No, no, <laughs> no. No, I, no, I'm not married. I, I uh, no, I just, so I'm not philosophically against marriage. <clears throat> you know, I've had girlfriends and all that sort of stuff. It's been very hard <clears throat> in um, when I set off on my Land Rover expedition, I isolated myself again. And uh, coming back to Tasmania, I've, I've 
isolated myself again and you know i uh i, I spoke to a friend uh, recently about this idea that uh, corona uh it sort of highlights all of the decisions that you've made in your life mm. in a way that you um, <laughs> however you're living at this moment is a culmination of everything you've decided in your life and on the whole i'm super i'm super happy about the decisions that i've made and where i am right now i'm in one of the safest best places in the world and i'm living in this beautiful place and all that sort of stuff but certainly personal relationships have been on my mind particularly in a time like this where you don't want to be alone you don't want to be experiencing what's going on in the world alone and i'm very well equipped and i'm very uh, to to manage it on my own it's not like i'm sitting around crying and i'm scared that i'm on my own i mean i'm like got a phd in being alone but um <laughs> but um that doesn't that doesn't mean that i wouldn't like to uh you know be close with someone particular at this time and it's certainly as i'm getting older it's definitely it's definitely more on my radar so let's see uh okay <laughs> I, I wanted to ask you more about the the woman you met in hawaii but uh, it's up to you <laughs> no <laughs> i was just curious yeah, well, we, we 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 never yeah we never got married it was uh yeah it was a it was a pretty crazy time and uh yeah, she was a very, uh, a very uh, driven woman, and she had uh, a lot of, of of her personal ambitions. And she was American, and you know, there was just a lot it's of very American woman. <laughs> yeah, she was. She just, I think, very. We had very differences of how uh, we wanted to live our lives. I think, in in many ways, at the at the crux of it, I think. Um, so yeah. yeah. I just have one more quick question for you. If you were to recommend a book, it could be on anything, what would it be? Oh, I think The Revolution of Daily Life, I think it's called by, uh, I can't even remember how to pronounce his name, Roel Vanagheim, um, who is a Belgian, uh, I don't know what you call him, Belgian philosopher. Um, he wrote a book. Um, which is titled, I think, in in the original French, it was sort of like le lessons for a young person or something like that. But he talks a lot about um, how not to be a slave uh, to externalities, and uh, that I think is is an important philosophy. So, wow. yeah, I mean that book, The Revolution of Daily Life. I mean Jack Kerouac and all that stuff influenced me a lot. The Beat Generation in, in my twenties and definitely be connected with my desire to, to go off and do his sorts of stuff. So I don't know, I could go on. I have so many books, but yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Well, thank you guys. It's been a real pleasure after so many years of kind of just reading about you in online, watching your videos and whatever. <laughs> it's good to finally talk <laughs> to you in person. I really appreciate you taking yeah. the time to talk to us. No worries, guys. Thanks so much for reaching out and, and thanks for having some interesting uh, questions and an interesting conversation. I really appreciate it.